going to sound beautiful. Pray with me as I pray. Father, I just thank you for um, the joyful noise in this place, in our prayers and in our praise. Lord, I pray that you would continue to be magnified here. Lord, as we look at um, what was to you an incredibly important part of your story, I pray that you would do a work in our midst, that it wouldn't be my words but the word that would change us into the image of the Son for the glory of the Father. We look forward to the ministry of your Spirit in this place now. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the Word of God. Here comes old man Mo. They used to stand for half a day in the Old Testament, so you guys got another minute or two in here, right? Good morning, family. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, You are the Son of God. Tell us these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, we can do better than that. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please have a seat. Grab your Bibles. Find Matthew chapter 4. Thank you, Brother Mo. Thank you, music team. So 18th century um, writer Thomas Paine said this. These are times that try men's souls. And, I, and I, that quote sort of stuck out to me. I didn't, I, I didn't, I'm not a history buff enough to know that it was Thomas Paine, so I looked it up. But, but why it stuck out to me, in addition to what we're talking about today in Matthew chapter 4, is... Um, like, I, f- I really feel like, like these are times that try men's souls. You know, it feels like since 1776, the world is, is getting harder to live in. I don't know that that's true. I just think the enemy's better at making us feel that way because he's overwhelming us with so much um, access to all that is going on in the world. We were not made or designed by God to know every bad thing that is happening um, in our own community, let alone around the globe. And yet now we have this constant stream of negativism kind of filling up our news feeds, 
um, and, and just our very lives. And it can't help but have an effect on our souls. And so um, I, 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 I say all of that to say this. There's a lot going on in the world, right? And, and there could be a tendency to go, you know, Doug, with everything that's going on in the world, why would we, why would we go through the gospel of Matthew? Like, like, why now? Shouldn't we be doing a series on gender or a series on um, your, your, ident- your sexual identity or a series on, um, I don't know, global warming or a series on something other than just going through the gospel of Matthew? And guys, honestly, not just myself, but the leadership cannot think of a better antidote to any and all of the problems we're facing than Jesus. He is the answer to all of those things. The identity problem that we're struggling with, our sexual identity problem that our culture is struggling with, is is a symptom of unhitching ourselves from our identity in Christ. And so what we need to see is Jesus and let him define us. And so I cannot think of anything better to do than to go through the Gospel of Matthew. And just as much as I can, and what I pray sometimes through tears for before we, I come up here is, Lord, just let them see Jesus. Because when we will gaze upon him, the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Guys, we have got to get better as a people at putting the beauty that is Christ in front of us. Like moment by moment, we just do. Right, so the first talking points question, these are sort of the things that drive our discussion, is to sort of set the table for this, the message and this idea of tempting times is what's wrong in the world? Like what is going on in the world? I'm asking, What? Spiritual warfare. So there's an overarching thing that we're going to absolutely see. There's somebody that at least knew what we are, did or her daily reading today. Because we're going to see, and we heard it even in our prayer time. It's where, it's where RJ took us at the start, even in Ephesians. Is there's a whole, there's a reality out there that is just as real as anything physical you and I see. But I'm not sure we really believe it. And it's spiritual warfare. So what else is going on in the world? Like what's really going on? Yeah. Can we just narrow that down a, a lot a bit, Michelle? Yeah, everything. She said, what? So everything's going wrong is what, like, like. Okay, the word of God is not known. Our, our, you know, our, my people perish for lack of knowledge is what Hosea tells us, right? And so, um, so there's, this, there's, this, there's this thing that, that the world is drifting, has unhinged itself from the truth of God's word. And that's certainly going to lead us into to what we see today in, our, in Scripture. What else? I heard somebody say, Jan, I think you said something. Okay. Divisiveness. Yeah, we, we see it. What's that? Fear of the unknown, divisiveness, like, like, and that goes back to that first thing I was saying about how, like, there's, we have so much information coming at us, and oh, by the way, the enemy loves to live in anger and divisiveness and fear, so those things are all, that, like, that's what's getting shoved at you because of the spiritual warfare Jamie was talking about, but also, frankly, just because it's what gets clicks, it's what gets likes, it's, like, like, the reason the news leads, because good news doesn't sell. And, that, and that's because of us. That's not because of them. Like, they are, I mean, them, them is us. But it's, it's a symptom of just the brokenness 
of this world, like all of this. And so today what we're talking about is Matthew chapter 4, and we titled the message Tempting Times. And what we're going to see is we're going to get a glimpse of how this war is being fought. Because really what's going on in the world is a battle for kingdom. Now what we have to understand is it's the, like the war is won. It's not an equal fight between two opposing forces. It is the battle is won, but it is a battle for kingdom that is going on right now. And so what we, what, what we want to see in this, in this um, message today, in these 11 verses, is how did Jesus fight the war of kingdom? Because that's what he's experiencing in his humanity in the scene that we're going to look at. So the question I was trying to, like I mentioned last week, so part of the preaching moment is supposed to take Stick to the truth of God's word first and foremost, but then try to preach it in a way that intersects with your life. So what is this? Okay, this was Jesus. How, how does that relate to me? Because I'm not him. Right? So I can't perfectly defeat the enemy this side of eternity like he did because I'm not him. So let's talk about that. So, so there's, there is more... There are a lot of levels to this passage. And so one of them is to help you figure out what's going on in your world. How is the the war affecting you so that your strength will be, so that your faith will be strengthened? So So the question I'm asking today is, how does faith strengthened by God look? Like, what does it look like? What does it look like when God is strengthening your faith? And, the, and, and what we're going to see in these verses is you're, it looks tested, your faith looks tested, it looks tried, and it looks triumphant. Those are our three points today. We're going to spend most of the time in our second point. So where we left off last time, so if you go to Matthew chapter 3, where we left off last time is Jesus getting baptized, right? And, and he's going to, um, and, and here's, what's, here's what's so amazing about and, and what's hard about planning out a preaching series is, is Matthew 3 through 5 is very intentionally being told by Matthew to show us many things, but one of them is that Jesus is the better Moses. So if you remember what, like in, in the Moses story, Moses leads his, the people through the Red Sea. That's going from slavery of, and sin to freedom. That's, the, that's, what, that's what the baptism of Jesus is showing us. That he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm showing you the part of the story that says, here's how you move from slavery to sin into freedom. Then Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the word of God, and he's up there for 40 days and for 40 nights. Well, what we're going to see in this next scene is that Jesus is fasting in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. We miss that as like Gentiles. But the Jewish audience Matthew was writing to would right away go, he's retelling the Moses story, but where Moses failed, and he did, Jesus is going to show to be better. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus, or Moses comes down the mountain with the word of God. In Matthew 5, we're going to see in a couple weeks, Lord willing, that Jesus goes up the mountain to share to teach the word of god to teach a new truth so he's modeling this whole sort of moses story these this particular scene of the temptation of jesus is shared in three of the gospels luke's sharing of it is really similar to matthew's it it, 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 it's a little out it's a little different in order but it's very much jesus is baptized he's led into the wilderness mark just gets right to it he, he, it's just, it's a couple of verses. In, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark just says, Jesus was baptized, and then the very next verse says, and he was driven, not led, driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Now, now wh- why does that matter? Because God had a purpose 
in sending his son into the wilderness. So in this, in this mystery that is the triune Godhead, three in one, we talked about that. It's the incarnation and how, how some of Jesus' deity was veiled by his humanity. Not removed, but veiled by his humanity. So the Spirit, he gets the Spirit, descends on him at his baptism. And then the Spirit pushes him into the wilderness because he's got some business to do, not just with the devil. He has some business to do with his father. And, and that's, that's an area that I don't think we give enough attention to. So let's jump into it. What does faith strengthened by God look like? Well, the first, the first thing is it looks tested. So we're in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, then, Je- then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That, that word tempted there actually is the word parazo in the Greek. And it's often translated tested. So, so one of the things I want is like, like this, it's an idea. So, so in my mind, tempted is like luring to do evil. And there is truth in this story to that. Satan is going to try to tempt Jesus to do wrong. But the word parazo actually more often means tested. It's the same word that is used when, when, when like, for example, when, when it says that the Pharisees came to test Jesus. It wasn't to tempt him. It was to test him. It was to see if he would pass the test. The word actually means like to prove that something is good. That's really what the word means. So the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tested, to prove that he is good. To prove that he's not going to fail where Moses failed. To prove that he is the son of God. But one of the questions you want to ask yourself is to prove it to who? Well, first, certainly to us, certainly to his disciples, and also potentially to him because the and I, and I say this a lot every time i get you know some people are like absolutely i totally get it and others are like man you're preaching heresy guys when i'm not asking for an answer when did jesus know who jesus was because it couldn't have been as an infant right the bible says over and over he grew in wisdom and knowledge that implies something that is implying that that he always obviously had a an incre- he never sinned, so he wasn't a normal, in any sense of the word, human, even in his humanity. But that he popped out of the womb and knew he was God in the flesh is not reasonable. So the question becomes, when did he know that? I would submit that right here is where it happens. That Guys, get, understand this too. This was something we, gotta, we, gotta, we have to think to ourselves. The Gospels are recorded by people who watched what was going on. Or they were friends with people that watched what was going on. Who was there to watch what we're about to read? It was just Satan and and Jesus. So how did this get recorded? The disciples weren't there. Here's the answer. The short answer. The end of the sermon. This was such an important moment in Jesus' earthly existence. He pressed it into his disciples often. He told them the story. So that... They would tell us the story. Okay, so with that, um, let's, let's keep going. In the, so I'm only on one verse into this thing so far. Uh-oh. So let, me, so let me ask you, who's in charge of this whole scene right now? The Holy Spirit. Right? God, I mean, God is. It's the Job moment. Right? When, when, this, when Satan comes to Job, who's in charge of that? God is. Who's in charge? So Satan is not in charge of this wilderness moment. Who is? Who led him into the wilderness? The Holy Spirit. 
right? God is, in, is orchestrating this whole event. This is not a fair fight, so to speak. And yet, it is a real wrestle. And then he says in verse 2, And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. This is, now, I, I would imagine. It's, again, it's a, it's a great picture of the Moses story. He did fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, when, he's, when your body starts to get hungry after you've been fasting that long, and you start to feel hunger again, because after a while you stop feeling hungry, um, people say that that's your body getting ready to die. Like it's waking back up for the last time. So he's at the point of death physically, in a sense. And then Satan comes rolling up at that point, again, all by God's design. But understand this. He comes to Jesus, and he's, gonna, he's going to tempt him with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Where have we heard that before? 1 John. 1 John tells us that, that all of our sin comes from these three areas. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. So, here's the, the next, the, your next talking points question. Let's spend a little bit of time talking about that the, together. What are the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life? Yes, that's an awkward co- uh, topic. It's okay. Like, what are some of those? Let's talk. Like, let's talk. I, I, you don't have to get into details. Like, for example, lust of the flesh. What kinds of lust of the flesh things are there? What? Gluttony, eating. What? What are, so, so give me two of them, Mo. Okay, that was more than two, but pride, anger, pride, anger, greed. We'll keep going. One more was the third, fourth one. Gluttony. Okay, one, fifth one. Okay, lust. That's a big one too, right, guys? I mean, I, I, I tell my students at ACU this in class as well, and I'll tell you the same thing. Any man in this room who says that they don't struggle with lust issues is lying. Absolutely, you are. So get over it. And, and get help. And find a brother you can, you can, you can get with. Help, like, like confess to one another. Pray for each other. But stop trying to convince yourself, one, that you're the only one in that struggle because you're not. And two, that you can beat it on your own because you can't. Right? So, so get over yourself and get, to, get, get help in Christ and in your brothers in Christ. Because we, every man in here including your pastor, struggles with that. If you're looking for a pastor that doesn't, good luck. It's just the way it is because of the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. Lust of the eyes. Where, where, do we, where does the enemy hit us with lust of the eyes kind of stuff? Maybe now more than ever. Hollywood. Good. Like it's this life that's sort of like bigger and better than it could ever be. Right, good. What else? The internet. Just generally. Like social media. Um, like there's like there's, there's this constant. Even if your social media feed isn't negative and divisive, guys, what it does to our souls so so often is it puts this hollow place on us because we we are constantly comparing. Oh man, the Holocaust just got to go to Disneyland. I haven't been to Disneyland in like four. Years. And they they are here and they were at Disneyland. And I love that that old sweet couple back there loves Disneyland. However, like I haven't gotten to go to Disneyland in a long time, and blah, blah, blah. like that. that but, okay, am I alone in being that pathetic? Thank you. Like, can I get a couple of amens at the very least? That like, that like, yeah, I struggle with that too. Because I'm, I'm up here going, man, I suck. I'm out. I'll see you guys later. How do I get back here, Sean? Like, let me just go hide in the drum cage. But, like, seriously, like we we all struggle, and and that feed just it it gives us this sense of like, man, I'm I'm missing out, right? It's the FOMO thing. 
right? Fear of missing out. And so, um, and, then, and then the boastful pride of life, um, that one we'll see more as we keep going, and it's fairly self-explanatory. But guys, we, we just have to come to grips with this idea that, that ultimately all of our sin issues, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life, and what, and what Satan is trying to get at Jesus with is self-gratification. Like all sin is self-gratification issues. All of it. When you're fighting with your spouse, it's about self, self is the big word, gratification in some way. And so that's the struggle that, that, we, see, um, that we see here. So that's the first thing. So, um, so how faith strengthened by God, how does it, like, how does it look? Well, one, it looks, um, it looks tested, right? And then it looks tried. So like tried would be like tried and true, like a tried and true, a proven way of doing something well. That's what I mean by tried. So it prove it. So we're gonna look, we're gonna start here. We're gonna look and see how did Jesus try? Like if 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 we're gonna back up just for a step, just for the sake of humoring me, and say, okay, so Jesus didn't know, like he wasn't just like like God going, Satan, I know what your scheme is because I know everything. He was fighting it out as Caitlin read in Hebrews 4, he was fighting it out with Satan just like we have to. It's a battle for identity. And he is saying, so, so here's the question. How, what tried method did Jesus use? Because that's the one we want to use. Right now, we have to back up a step and start here. Spiritual, and, and, and we, already, we already know this if you've been at CrossFit for very long, but there's some new faces here. Guys, spiritual warfare is a real thing. It is. I mean, um, Jamie took us there in, at the beginning, but um, of, of just like what is what's going on in the world. But the spiritual world is real, and the warfare is real, and it's written about all over Scripture. And we have to acknowledge that. Like we have to address that. Jesus, this whole scene is pointing us to the truth and the reality of spiritual warfare. Say, like, if, to read this without believing in spiritual warfare is to ask, well, then what was really going on in, in Jesus' life? If Satan wasn't really there and really tempting him, what was really happening? And so, so we want to be able to, not in our own lives, but also with people that we're discipling, go, guys, spiritual warfare is a real thing, right? Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The God of this world has darkened the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the glory of the gospel that is Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. But he also goes on in, chapter, in, in that same letter in chapter 10, and he talks about how that, that God... Um, that, that, are the, that though we walk in this flesh, we still struggle with the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. We war spiritually. Is what, that's what we, that was our, what our prayer time was full of. And then, obviously, Paul also says in Ephesians, um, the, in the section that, that RJ started us out in, he says, we do not wrestle against uh, flesh and blood. For the, for the, for he says, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of, of evil in, in heaven, the heavenly places. Guys, if that isn't a reality, if the spiritual war isn't a reality, then what in the world is Paul talking about? Now, I, I get that a lot of level in this particular audience at Cross Train, we are, I'm preaching to the choir, but I don't think we really believe this is at the level we do. I think we I think... We think that there, oh, yeah, okay, there is a spiritual reality, but ultimately, like, I am my biggest problem. And there is truth to that. Like, like our biggest problem with sin looks us in the face every time we look in the mirror. Like, that's, that is the truth. But the enemy knows what buttons to push. And that's the part we have to come to grips with. But, but understand, what we're going to see in how Jesus deals with these tests from Satan is he's 
is spiritual war, warfare is a war for truth. Get this. Spiritual warfare is a war for truth, not for territory. Here's the difference. Truth is what is God's word saying? How does the enemy come to Adam and Eve? He comes, did, did, Jesus, or did God really say that? He wants them to doubt the truth of what God has said. What he's gonna show, what, how he's going to come to Jesus is he's going to come trying to get Jesus to doubt the truth. Not to claim some territory. Je Satan never claims territory over Jesus' life. I don't even know that Satan knew exactly who Jesus was other than that, man, this is one I've got to get after. But look at what I've done to all of God's people. I've destroyed Abraham. I've destroyed Moses. I certainly messed with David. I've, I, so I'll just mess with this one too. Now he's coming up against somebody. Maybe he doesn't know who he is. I don't know. But ultimately, Jesus doesn't fail where all those others failed. But it's not because he's having a fight over control of territory. He's, he's not saying, wait a minute, this is my world. No, you stole this world. He's saying the battle is for truth. And, and why that matters to you and I, guys, is because if we believe it's a battle for territory, then that, that makes us a neutral observer. This happened to me. Instead of saying it's a battle for truth, meaning I have chosen to do the Romans 1 thing. I have chosen to exchange the truth for a lie. Now, you might not know you did. Because of your family background, because of the circumstances of your past, you might have put, been put into a situation where you came to believe a lie you didn't even know was a lie. Right? That's, so I'm not, I'm not saying that your past doesn't matter, that areas of your life that you've kind of given into because you're addicted to porn or some substance or something, I'm not saying that those things aren't real and don't really need to be dealt with. I'm saying how you fight them is by exchanging that lie with the truth. And that's what we're going to quickly see Jesus do as we go through this. Okay, so here's, let's, let's just jump into the first, the first test. The first test is verses 3 and 4. He says, and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God. Now remember that. If you are the son of God, command these stones to be loaves of bread. Guys, this, this first spiritual battle, the first test that he's in, is a battle for power. What he's testing Jesus in is, do you, what you just heard, Jesus, in your baptism is, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now the next scene that we see is the Holy Spirit shoving Jesus out into the wilderness and Satan walking up to him after he's starving to death and going, hey, if you really believe what you just heard from your father, prove it. Prove it. Prove it. It's a, it's, do you believe that God has given you the power he says he's given you? That's the question, the, one of the questions the enemy comes to you and I with. Do you really believe you're a child of God? Do you really believe that you're a blood-bought saint? Do you really believe that you're fully, freely, and forever forgiven? Prove it. But how does Jesus prove it? He doesn't prove it by, because this is not a fight for hunger. It's not a fight for food. It's a fight for identity. Right? The, the fight that Jesus is in right in this particular moment is a fight for identity. Do you really believe you are who God the Father just told you you were? And so Satan, or so Jesus comes and says, okay, but here's the answer. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8, 
20, or 8, verse 3. But, but look at the context of Deuteronomy 8, 3. This is, this is how Moses wrote about it in his own wilderness experience. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. Now, he didn't give Jesus manna in the 40 days he was out there. Nor did the fathers know that he might make you know, make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So I love how, the, how, how Jesus not only attacks the lie of, hey, you have power to turn the stone into bread and solve all your physical problems. But Jesus actually quotes a verse in context because it's about being hungry. And how, Jesus, and how God provided. And he's like, no, wait a minute. God provided. Right? Now, now we, uh, so yeah, we, we got to keep going. Sorry, I'm, we're going too long. So let's keep going. So look at, look, at the, look at the next test. Verses 5, 6, and 7. He says, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him up on a pinnacle of the temple. Now, whether, I, now whether that was something like just vision he gave him, like in like, what we think of like a movies, like when, uh, what, what was the guy, the Lord of the Rings dude that puts on the ring? Frodo. Frodo puts on the ring and he kind of sees all, like maybe it was something like that. I have no idea. It didn't matter. But he wa- he wasn't probably physically there. I guess he could have been. I don't know. Um, it says, and if you here's that question again. And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw down, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you on their hands. They will bear you up, lest you strike your foot on a stone. So now, so now here is Satan quoting God's word. He's quoting Psalm 91, the turkey. Except here's the thing, he's misquoting it. I mean, it's mostly true, but he's pulling pieces out, not because it necessarily matters in the context, but, but this part does. So listen, this is one of the things the enemy does to us, is he takes a little bit of God's truth and wraps it up in a lie, right? And, and we look and we go, okay, there, there's something there that sounds right, so I'm going to take a bite, what we, so that's why we have to know the word of God well. So we, and we have to be in community with one another. So that when, when you do start to kind of wander off in a lie that the enemy has been whispering to you, you have brothers and sisters in Christ that can go, wait a minute, I think you're getting a little sideways here. Let's talk about this. Let's look in the word. Let's see what God's word has to say about this. And so ultimately, um, Jesus comes back with another passage. He says, and Jesus said to him, again it is written... You shall not put the Lord God to the test. Now, what's the test here for Jesus? The test here is, do you believe the Father loves you? First test was power. Do you believe that God's given you power? You are my son. There's power there. Do you believe it? If you're the son of God, do this. Now, the next one is, and he is well pleased with you. He loves you. And Satan's like, okay, but does he love you enough? To do what he says he's going to do in Psalm 91 and command his angels concerning you to save you if you throw yourself off, this, um, off the temple? He's like, D- is, that, is there that kind of love there? And, and Jesus will not have it. He will take the, he could say, absolutely, that's a psalm written about me. Let me show you. But he doesn't. He says, no, I'm not putting my father to that test. I'm going to believe it's true because my father told me it is. Not because I have to have it proven to me one more test verses 8 through 10 again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory so again that couldn't have been in like a physical sense but some sort of real like a movie or something right and he's and and then he changes tactics here he he's no longer going to say if you are the son of god 
He's not going to try to attack his identity anymore. He's going to attack him in a different way. So let's look at that together. He says, um, sorry, and it says, and he said to him, all these, all of the kingdoms of the world, I will give to you if you will just fall down and worship me. Now, guys, get this test is, a, is ultimately about one thing, and it's about worship. Right? The, 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 what, what the enemy is trying to get Jesus to do is to worship him. It's what the enemy is trying to do to you and I moment by moment. Guys, we are all worshipers. Every person who's ever lived is a worshiper. The only question is what? And the only, and who, or who? And, and that is a moment by moment thing. Now, as a blood-bought saint, you are a worshiper of God. But moment by moment, we have to choose. And, and the reason we have a porn problem, or the reason we have an anger problem, or the reason we have a, a, a what we're saying, gluttony problem, or the reason we have the other seven sin, deadly sins problem, is because we have, the way Paul Tripp says it, is we have an awe problem. We've lost our awe of God. We have stopped seeing God as better than all of those things. We've stopped seeing Jesus as better than those things. So in the moment that I am tempted to look with lust at somebody or, or whatever my, my struggle is, the, the real issue is, who are you, what are you worshiping? Are you worshiping that person? Or are you going to worship God? That, and that's really what Jesus is, or what Satan's trying to get Jesus. He's saying, bow down, worship me. But the fight for kingdom is a fight for worship. The fight we're in as kingdom people, meant to live by kingdom power for kingdom glory, is a fight for worship. And, and all the distraction and the, and the issues of this world are just to get us to worship the wrong things. And that, and that is as old as, well, frankly, it's as old as the scene in the garden in Genesis 3. And, and, and Satan just carries, he has no new schemes. That's why Paul says we don't want to be, um, we, we want to be aware of the schemes of the enemy. Because he, he has no new ones. He doesn't, frankly, he doesn't need new ones. We're dumb enough to fall for the old ones. The things that we think, have been, even, the, even the things in my life that I, I was journaling about this on Saturday, the very things I think have been crucified with Christ and have been put to death and I finally have victory in, I look down one day and I'm like, ah, where did that come? How did I pick that back up? Because he's, I'm just dumb enough for him to whisper in my ear and for me to go, okay, I guess I'll take it. Right? It's, it's just mind-boggling. But in Christ, he's come up against somebody a little different. And Jesus answers this way. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and, and only him shall you serve. And guess what book he, he, he um, talks about again? Deuteronomy. What do you think Jesus has been doing for his 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness? Do you think it's only coincidental that he quotes Deuteronomy three times? There's lots of books. He could have quoted the prophets. He knew them all. What, what do you think he's been meditating on for 40 days and 40 nights? Deuteronomy. So when the enemy comes, man, he is like, oh, I'm on it. I've got my little three-by-five cards. I know my Bible promises. Here we go. Bring it. If he needed to, how much more you and I? Right? Like, we, that's, we need to meditate on and let the Word of God, like, me, like work on us so we're ready for those. We cannot exchange the truth of, or the, the, of the lie for the truth unless we know the truth. Like, unless we have some claims that we can make. So if you're struggling in, in situations, find some promises. If you need help finding promises, 
talk to somebody, talk to me, talk to one of the leaders, our wives, and, and let us help you find some promises that you can claim in that ongoing, never-ending battle for victory. Because we are in a war. Guys, this scene is so important to Jesus, like I said earlier, that, that he points all of this out so that Matthew can bring it like to us, so that we can understand, hey, if this is how the Son of God had to deal with sin, how much more do we have to deal with sin? Like this way, by taking the Word of God and, and, and pressing it back up against the lies of the enemy. Now, I want to point out one more thing for the most important part of verse 10, and it's the very first part. Then Jesus said, be gone, Satan. It's a command. It's the same command he gives where? Anybody know? If you're going to read about it. Um, no, it's close. That's a good idea. It is, it is a, um, that's just hush. Peter, get behind me, Satan. When Peter says, right after Peter says in Matthew, you're going to read about it this week, in Matthew 16, when he says, um, when he says, um, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, P and Jesus is like, all right, Simon Bar-Jonah, sign the son of John. The, the, God gave you that one. And then right after that, immediately from that point on, Jesus spends almost all of his time talking about his death. So Peter pulls him aside in, in, in more Peter fashion, less Holy Spirit fashion, and, and rebukes Jesus. Says, that's not happening on my watch. You're not getting crucified. And Jesus looks at him and doesn't even address Jesus. He looks at him and he says, be gone, Satan. Why? Because he knows that the, he knows the enemy when he sees him. And he knows what the enemy is about is getting things done his way. Guys, what did Peter want Jesus to be? He wanted Jesus to be a strong government ruler. That's what he thought the Messiah was going to do. He was going to come and dethrone Rome and set God's people up. That's why they were arguing about who gets to sit at the right and the left. It wasn't in heaven. It was when the kingdom comes here because he thought that's what was going to happen. But guys, how's, because, er, because earthly wisdom, satanic, frankly, wisdom is all about how do you exert your power and your influence over other people in a way that is strong and often hard. But how's that working for us? Right? How's that worked in all of world history, and how's it working for our nation today? It doesn't. What Jesus does is he says, I am a strong ruler, and I'm going to exert my authority over you by giving myself away, by giving my life away. That's what makes him the better Moses, the better Israel. Frankly, that's what makes him the better. Guys, this whole scene, really, if you, did, if you were to just boil it all down and 30 minutes or 40 minutes into the message, I, I could have just said this. Remember the mistake in the garden? Satan, Satan comes up to Adam. Adam and, he, Adam and Eve, they are kings and queens of the world in that moment in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. What they should have done is what Jesus does here, but they failed. Now all these years later, 7,000 years later, Satan comes up with the same tactic, comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm not, I'm not just one of them. I'm the better Adam. I'm the one who is going to do what was supposed to happen at the beginning. Because when I do, I will bring it all back to the way it's supposed to be. So be gone. That's what Jesus is showing us here. He's saying, I am the better Adam. I am the better David. I am the better Moses. I am the better Abraham. I am the better Israel. I am just better. But do we believe it? Look at your last talking points question. 
if the war between kingdoms is a war for truth and we are to be susceptible to the lies of the and we are so, so susceptible to the lies of the enemy we need to set our anchor deep into the truth of god's word so let's share some ways to do that so i'm going to just gonna ask for one word examples i mean obviously reading our bible i'm going to get that one out of the way but what are other ways we can actually set our souls onto what is positive but so as you're thinking about that here's what i i, I want to say this we've got to be honest with ourselves people Right? We're not Jesus. We don't, praise God, we don't have to be, because he is. He was tempted in every way like us, not just here. Guys, this is not the only time Jesus is tempted in his life. Right? He, but he never gives in, and he's tested to the utmost because he never gives in. I've never been tested to the utmost. You know why? Because I, I fall way back here. So I don't, God, Satan doesn't have to test me all the way over here because I stumble back here. Jesus never stumbled. He's, he is Tested to the utmost, never fails. But guys, we have to be honest with ourselves. We like to sin. No, I don't, Doug. I, don't want, I want to stop that. I'm telling you, the part of you that is not yet restored, your flesh loves it. The flesh loves to be fed. It does. And, and unless we are at least willing to be honest with ourselves and go, you know what, like I really, really want to stop this, or I really want to start doing that. Or I really, no, you don't. I don't either. I mean, spirit, the, the spiritual part of you does, I hope. But, but your flesh does not. Guys, we want to sin. The enemy doesn't make you do anything. The enemy just pushes buttons. For those of you old enough to remember Flip Wilson, the devil made me buy that dress. That is not theological. The devil doesn't make you do anything. But the devil knows what buttons to push that your flesh is only more than willing to go, yum, 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 yum. That's what he does. What, what we have to, but if we can't at least come to grips with this idea of, of submit to God, right? Resist the devil. By, by changing, exchanging his lie with the truth and, let him, and then watch him flee, then, then, then we're, if we don't back up at least to there, then it's a short fight and we lose every time. All right, our last point, and it goes quickly, so it's one verse. So what does faith strengthened by God look like? First of all, it is tested. It is, so, we, so we have situations that come by God's design to test our faith, to strengthen it. He's not testing us for his knowledge. He knows what we're going to do. He's doing it for us. Jesus comes out of this moment in the wilderness way stronger. Because he's like, you know what? I, the enemy threw some stuff at me, and I, and, and I took it, and I, and I combated it the way I know how with the word of God, and I was victorious, so be gone, Satan. And that's why God sends, when you say, well, why does God keep sending me this, these, these tests? It's to strengthen your faith. Second thing is tried. Do, are we attacking the, the lies with the truth of God's word just the way he did? And then the last thing is, if we do those things, then we are, like him and in him, triumphant. Moment by moment, and then obviously for eternity in him, we are triumphant. So take a look at verse 11. It says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So Jesus fights the lie, and Satan's like, I got nothing left. I've, 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 I've emptied my gun. I, I'll, I'll be back. I'm going to go try to find some new stuff. But I've got nothing left. Guys, we've got to realize 
Satan is, just like we have to realize that we enjoy sinning, we also need to realize Satan is a defeated foe. He is, and he knows it. And it's why he wants to take as many people with him to hell as possible. He is a defeated enemy. This is not two opposing forces. This is not like Star Wars. The dark side and the light. This is not, guys, God is in charge of all of it. But he has purpose in getting you to heaven looking more like Jesus than you do now. And the way he does that is by testing your faith and letting you see how best to strengthen it. As the music team comes up and we get ready to respond in a song and then we're going to respond at his table and spend some time just talking about being protected from the evil one. Guys, like I said before, all of this is a battle for identity. It's a battle for worship. And here's the question. Whose voice are you going to listen to? That's really what's before you moment by moment, day by day. That's what's before you right now as we're going, okay, we've been here for an hour and a half. I, I got lunch plans. Let's get out of here. Guys, in the next 15 minutes, whose voice are you going to let? Forget even the rest of the week. Can, in the next 15 minutes, whose voice are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the enemy when he comes and he starts discouraging you? When he starts condemning you? Are you going to listen to that voice of shame that says, I know what you did. If these people knew who you really were, they wouldn't even let you in this building. Guys, that is a lie. Everyone in this building has heard that voice. Guys, if I, if I felt worthy to walk into this, if I had to feel worthy to walk into this building, to walk into this building, I wouldn't walk in. But God has made me worthy. By all the things you guys prayed about. So whose voice are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the voice of the enemy? Or are you going to listen to the voice of your father? Who says that you are fully and freely and forever forgiven. That, that he knows everything about you. And he not only says, I love you, but I like you. Pray with me. Father, I just thank you for um, the, the model of perfection. But more than that, I thank you for the gift of your spirit and your word that gives us a shot at at being able to walk out the commandments that you give us. That we as, as saints, we no longer have to sin. You've given us everything we need. You've, you've secured the victory, but in the here and now, you've given us everything that we need. Yes, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the beauty of the gospel message. And at the same time, you've given us the power to walk worthy of the gospel through which we've, that we've been called. You've given us your spirit. You've given us the word. Even though we feel like we're in the wilderness, sometimes, maybe there by your, by, just like with Jesus, by your charge you have purpose in that wandering and that purpose is that we would tune our ears to your voice that in that moment in that fight in that war for worship we would worship you so Lord, just even in the next few minutes let us be worshipers of the one worthy of worship